Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back into the Frogs Up TCU Sports Podcast. I'm Russ Hodges, that is Anthony North, and we have we have a football game to talk about. TCU going on the road and getting outclassed in all three phases against Kansas State. 41-3, to the final score, just a dreadful performance from TCU, and we're going to do our best here to dive into this game, figure out what went wrong, and what TCU can do moving forward to salvage what's left of this season now as TCU goes into the bye week with four games remaining. We will recap the weekend action in the Big 12. We have some pro-frog items to hit on, a couple TCU players making some plays today in the NFL. We have some recruiting items to discuss and a little bit of TCU volleyball news and um after a, a pretty dreadful Saturday evening watching the Frogs, I needed to find some pleasure, so I went and saw Killers of the Flower Moon. If y'all have not seen that movie, the new Martin Scorsese film with Leo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, awesome movie. Go check it out. Do yourselves a favor. It's a little long, three and a half hours, which might might turn some people away, but uh, what might be one of the best movies movies this uh, this year. So. That's how I spent my Sunday today. Uh, Anthony, how's your weekend been going? Yeah, so you you recovered from watching the TCU football game with three and a half hours of murder <laughs> and like genocide. And oh, that's yeah, that's that seems like a, a real pick me up right after that, that game. Way. Right, right way to wrap up this weekend. That's, uh, that was an upgrade for sure. Um, you know, my, my weekend has been really good um, aside from. Uh, the the sports teams that I was rooting for, um, I did get a chance uh, actually to get some last minute tickets to the Rangers Astros ALCS Game Five on Friday afternoon, um, which was just a terrific game. I'm kind of like a half hearted Rangers fan. I just because I live here, I'm not from here, and I had family growing up in. DFW area and in Houston area. So like as a kid, those were my two of my favorite teams. So like I, I always kind of rooted for the Bagwell Biggio Astros teams and the the Pudge Rodriguez, Juan Gonzalez Rangers team. So it, it was just um fun to get out to the ballpark for for playoff baseball. It was a really exciting baseball game. I uh brought my kids out there. So just to I, I guess the afternoon game tickets dropped in price uh near game time and was able to get some pretty cheap tickets for playoff baseball so that was a fun time regardless of the rangers kind of uh giving up the uh altuve home run i'm it's sunday night i'm not watching the game right now so i I don't know what's what's happening in the rangers astros game six um but i'm sure it's something crazy is happening there as well but yeah it's been it's been a great weekend uh but i guess we will have to talk about this football game yeah, we're we're going to let it rip a little bit on this episode this evening because uh Anthony, I'm sure you have some strong thoughts about this game and I have some strong thoughts myself. I'm usually pretty level-headed on this podcast. I try to be as fair and objective as I can be, but I'm I'm a little upset about this game. So we'll get into it, but first this episode of course is brought to you guys by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company, Charlie Hustle Vintage made fresh. Go to charliehustle.com. Get your TCU apparel, t-shirts, hoodies, more. Use the promo code FROGSOWAR. Get 15% off all TCU items. Or you can support any of the other schools in the Big 12 with the promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215. As a part of our partnership 
with the 1012 network, that promo code gives you 15% off any non-sale items. Go to charliehustle.com, check out their apparel, great stuff. The Patreon, of course, is still alive if y'all want to make a small donation. Support the two of us here on Frogs Up or any of the other podcasts affiliated with the 1012 network. Go to patreon.com forward slash 1012 network. All right. TCU going on the road after a dominant win over BYU, 44 to 11, where it looked like TCU could do no wrong. Josh Hoover balls out in his first career start. The defense is making big plays all over the field. You get some big special teams plays. You get a big bounce back win after a couple of stinkers against West Virginia and Iowa State. And we talked about this Kansas State game on our midweek episode a few days ago, and we knew that this was a possibility, but I am very surprised that this was the final result. TCU getting thoroughly outclassed in the second consecutive road game. TCU got blown out at Iowa State and getting blown out in Manhattan last night, 41 to three, the final score, 587 total yards given up by the TCU defense, 343 rushing yards allowed by the TCU defense. It did not matter who was getting the ball, where they were getting the ball, when they were getting the ball. Kansas State was getting everything and anything it wanted on the offensive end. And for the TCU offense, 300 total yards with three points to show for it. A 32-yard field goal for Griffin Kell. The only points, from what I read online, and maybe you can verify this, Anthony, I'm not sure, but from what I read, this is TCU's first game without a touchdown since 2016. I'm not sure if that sound does that sound right to you is that is that plausible or yeah i I hadn't seen that i did see you know tcu getting the field goal at least uh keeps the scoring streak alive uh tcu hasn't been shut out in some ridiculous amount of time up there either right behind or tied with the florida gators for all time having scored in every game but yeah it's it's uh i can imagine it's been a while since the frogs haven't scored a touchdown yeah, and, and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of what went wrong for TCU on both sides of the field and how Kansas State was able to take advantage of some things. But my first overall thought, and I guess I'll leave this as my only overall thought, and Anthony, I'll give the floor to hear, to you here soon in a little bit, but TCU looked thoroughly unprepared for this game. And what's really scary is you listen to the post-game comments that Josh Newton made and head coach Sonny Dykes made, and it, this was like Georgia 2.0. Like I was having flashbacks of the Georgia loss after this game because you had Josh Newton coming out after the game saying, Kansas State didn't do anything that we hadn't already seen on film. Sonny Dykes comes out and he says that he's stunned, he's shocked, he's embarrassed, he thinks the players are embarrassed, they had a great week of practice, You've gotten blown out in back-to-back road games now. Something is not right with the way this team is being prepared for these games because, and I'm not trying to take credit away from Kansas State because Kansas State is a very good team. We knew this was going to be a very challenging game coming in. There's a reason the Wildcats were favored. They're playing at home. They're still one of the best teams in the Big 12. It was going to be a challenge for TC to come out and win this game. But 
I expected TCU to at least be competitive. This game was over at halftime. You could even argue this game was over after the first quarter. Kansas State scored on each of its first three drives, and it was 27 to 3 at halftime. And for the players, Andrew Coker also came out after the game and said TCU is still trying to find its identity on offense eight games into the season after a full fall camp and spring ball. You're still trying to find your identity on offense. That's not good. And for the players and the coaches to come out after this game and seem to be just at a loss for words as to how bad they played. It's a very scary feeling going into the remainder of the season. And thankfully TCU has a buy and they're going to have an opportunity to make some big changes potentially leading into the next game, which is a road game at Texas tech where crazy things always happen in Lubbock. But this team is fighting for bowl eligibility at this point. And there are serious changes that are going to need to be made with the way this team prepares. If TCU has any hope of getting to that six win mark and getting to a bowl game, that's my biggest takeaway from this game. Anthony, I'll leave it to you now. Yeah, for overall thought, I mean, you said this game was over at halftime. This game was over at the end of the first quarter. Uh, This game was over, uh, I don't know, before TCU got on the field, before they got on the bus, maybe before they got on the plane in Fort Worth to to head to Manhattan. The the Horned Frogs appeared fully disinterested in playing this game, disinterested in attempting – to stop what what they were doing offensively um and unprepared you know even even the guys that were were really out there fighting uh i i don't they just weren't able to be in the right spots um you know you've got these linebackers chasing down running backs out of the backfield it was something that cropped up in bad situations last season for this TCU defense um you know, the the one DJ Giddens catch and run for a touchdown where Shad Banks is left standing in concrete, um, you know, just completely uh, frozen deer in the headlights as DJ Giddens sprints past him. Um, and I, really from the, the very first drive of this game where, yeah, you know, Kansas State is being a little bit cued and gets to start both quarterbacks to start the game they're both on the field Johnson and Howard um and they just just completely bully TCU right down the field for a touchdown and it felt like um whatever will to go battle in this game was just evaporated right away um and and never never really recovered uh particularly because the offense comes right back and gets i, I don't know like at 11 yards or something um mm-hmm. i think they pick up a first down on the first play or or so to Dylan Wright and then it, it ends up a three or it's like a four or five and out um and that's just and of course Kansas State comes right back down and and bullies it all the way back down again and then does it right again i mean 
Uh, yeah, TCU had no answers. Like you said, it, it felt like that Georgia game where like, all right, well, this one's done. Um, you know, Kansas State could have been eating chicken wings from their fans on the sideline like the Georgia players were in the national championship game. I mean, it's it was um, – there were no answers and – I don't know where the answers are going to come from going forward. Um, there'll be a lot of work to be done through this break um, to come up with something that works in these four games the rest of the way, because you've got two games against your biggest rivals and two games where you're going to be, uh, you know, at least two touchdown underdogs, you know, maybe three touchdown underdogs. So, uh, there are big, big challenges ahead that TCU seems completely incapable of stepping up to. Um, so, I mean, we can get into the details of this game, but there are, I, I don't know how these questions get answered and whether, you know, I think that there was, there's going to be a lot of the talk about the coordinators for this team is going to get louder and louder. Uh, this was a, a a hideous performance from from the coaching staff in its preparedness for this game and in, in getting this TCU team ready to play um, and then execution on, on the day of on game day. It, it's just it was 100 percent as bad as you could be all around, I think, from from effort, from plan, from execution. Uh, terrible job. I think we have to start with the defense because giving up 587 yards of total offense is unacceptable. Giving up 343 rushing yards in one game is absolutely unacceptable. Kansas State had 400 yards in the first half, I believe. I mean, this was just a complete embarrassment of a performance from this defense. And you have to give Kansas State some credit because I think they looked at some things on film that they could exploit. And it was first, let's talk about the way Kansas state ran the ball, because when we talked about this game on our midweek episode, previewing this game, the big question that we had was, could this front six, these linebackers and this defensive line stand up to this Kansas state run offense? Well, we got our answer and it was a resounding Hell no. These defensive linemen looked completely outmatched, outclassed. It was five on three, six on three at times up front, several double teams. TCU's D-line got no push. And it didn't matter if it was Avery Johnson or DJ Giddens or Treshawn Ward. I mean, Treshawn Ward and DJ Giddens combined for over 170 rushing yards in this game, and they were getting seven, eight yards of carry. Will Howard, the TCU killer himself, I know he didn't get asked to do a whole lot in this game. He, he ran still for killed 62 him. yards on yeah. four carries. Will Howard, and and look, he's a he's a good player. We know he's a really good player. That that's not he's not a dual threat. You gave up 62 rushing yards to him. That's inexcusable. Avery Johnson was effective on the ground as well. Will Howard winds up throwing for 154 yards and three touchdowns. Kansas State had zero turnovers in this game. They had only one punt in this game, and I want to say it came 
in the fourth quarter. It was in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, garbage time. Yeah. And going back to the point I made a few minutes ago, how Kansas State was able to take advantage of some things, they they were targeting these linebackers. The the way they were uh, getting these running backs out of the backfield on these wheel routes, you mentioned the play where Shad Banks was just, you know, his, his his controller unplugged and he was standing still. And by the time he reacted to the pass to DJ Giddens, he was already halfway home. And as I watched this game, what I noticed was it wasn't Josh Newton, Kansas State was going after. It wasn't Namdi OBI's or Kansas State was going after. It was it was Jamoy Hodge and Shadrick Banks. Those were the two guys that they were trying to get isolated in one-on-one matchups in the passing mm-hmm. game. And they had an incredible amount of success doing it. It seemed like every time DJ Giddens or Treshawn Ward caught the ball, it came for a huge gain. And this defensive line, th- these guys just are not playing to the caliber of of what we expect from this TCU defense. And how, how do you fix that going forward? I, I don't know. I mean, the way this three three five is laid out is you need a very stout defensive line to run this scheme because as as well as TCU secondary has played and, and even the secondary got burned a few times in this game. I mean, Mark Perry gave up a couple big plays. Uh, Avery Helm was looking like Avery Heim barbecue getting cooked by Jackson Brown, the the freshman receiver who came in with two catches on the season and he finishes with four catches for 88 and a score in this game. The defense was just completely spent by the end of the game. And the big question that's going to resurface from this game is can TCU succeed in a three, three, five with this defensive line? Hell no, you have no chance because it's obvious at this point, this defensive line is not good enough, not big enough, not strong enough to compete against very good or elite teams. Maybe you go into the portal to fix that. Maybe you hope these freshmen that you recruited can, can grow and develop in a short time, but I, I just I don't know if you can continue to run this kind of scheme if this is the kind of defensive line you're going to have. And if these linebackers are not going to be fast enough to cover these running backs. And, and also, Ben Sinnott was injured in the first quarter. He didn't mm-hmm. play the basically the entire game he was out with an injury. And he's one of their best offensive players for K-State. They did all of this damage without him. So... Imagine if he had stayed healthy, it would have been a lot worse for, for TCU. And so I'll, I'll close out my thoughts here on the defense with, I, I just don't think TCU can run this scheme with these players. So they're going to have to make a decision. It's got to be the, the players or the coordinator. I'm not sure which it's going to be, but we're going to have to get an answer here very soon. Yeah, and I think that the biggest challenge on the players thing is these guys are not out there in the portal. I mean, you see USC went out there and whatever NIL bag they had to drop on Bear Alexander to get him out there to Los Angeles and and all the the improvement that he's made to their defensive front, it's still not getting the job done for the Trojans. And that's, 
you know, I mean, it's kind of been the same way for TCU. TCU brings in these guys that, you know, you're you're expecting to see contributions from Timon Mitchell and from Caleb Fox and from uh, any of anybody. Um, Rick DeBreu. It, it, and there's just, these guys are not good enough to make up for, um, you know, I don't know if it's just loss of Dylan Horton or if it's, this scheme is just not going to work with these guys. And, and, and I think TCU might be just looking at holding a red shirt for, for those big time uh, true freshmen that were brought in. You know, I don't think we've seen much of Marcus deal mm-hmm. um, or uh, what's the other guy, Avion Carter, yeah, no, no, Avion um, Carter, no Zach Chapman, no Kavion Huddleston, no Marcus even, Dill. even like Jonathan backs at like the edge pass rushing linebacker. These guys came in with a lot of a big time recruiting pedigree. They, there was a lot of hype out of spring camp, out of fall camp, that these guys were ready to step up and step into a big time role. And we haven't seen anything from them. And I don't know if it's just, they're not showing up on the stat sheet or they're not getting play time. And maybe TCU in a, what is now a lost season is just holding their red shirt to, to keep their eligibility window for the future. I don't know. Um, but those are the guys who are going to, if you're going to be successful with this scheme, those guys that you've recruited and brought in specifically to fill those roles have to be producing at a very high level. Um, and I don't know if it's TCU doesn't think that those particular guys can produce yet. Um, but it's clear that the guys that they're putting out there uh, are, are, are not able to produce or, or even maintain things in a way that makes any part of the rest of the defense work uh, in, in a successful way. So, yeah, I, I think that is, we knew it was going to be, it was the biggest question mark for this team going into the season. And the question has been answered and it's been a fail. Um, I, I think that's been quite clear at this point. And, you know, for as much as, yes, uh, Shad Banks and, and Jamoy Hodge were targeted and specifically called out from Kansas State as we're going to attack that spot because that's the weak link here. Um, you know, not having Johnny Hodges on the field is is just a killer for this TCU defense. He um, he is the guy. I mean, he was he was to come in and be he was the guy last year, or at least one of the guys. And he's one of your big run stuffers. He's your leader on the field. He's your uh, your vocal leader, and to not have him out there is is a huge, huge blow that we, you know, I don't want to discount how big it is to lose such a key component of your defense uh, for now. What is it? Four games that he's yeah. missed? Five games? I mean, it, that's that's a significant amount of time uh, for this injury to to be holding him back, and you know, I I. I don't know what his status is going forward for the rest of the season, but certainly if he gets back on the field, that will be a big boost for TCU in these final four games. And hopefully maybe through this bye week, he he gets back. I don't know if there's been reporting on it, Russ, that you've seen on, on Hodges, if, if he's coming back, but um, no. So I, I think the secondary, there's only so much eventually you're going to give up some passes. Yeah. 
Helm got burned. Perry got burned. Um, you know, I, I think Josh Newton, I, I'm not even sure they targeted him maybe a handful of times, three times maybe this game. Uh, I think he had maybe one pass breakup. I don't know. But, you know, they only threw 26 total passes. They did even they were very effective with their passing game, but they didn't need to pass very much because, yeah, this run game completely dominated. And to be fair, Kansas State has maybe the best offensive guard in all of college football, Cooper uh, Beebe. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> again, those guys up front were getting dominated, but they were getting dominated by the best of the best. So it, it's there's a little bit of look, this team on this day was not just better than you, but a lot better than you. Um, and maybe on another day, they'd be a little better than you. But it's clear that um, that Chris Kleiman and Kansas State, that they, they know how to take wh- whatever TCU is doing, whether it's a Gary Patterson team or it's a, it's a Sonny Dykes team, and, and they know how to just fully uh, throw the frogs in the trash can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the Johnny Hodges note, the only thing that I had seen was when he initially got hurt that it was going to be a week-to-week issue. Um, ha- haven't seen anything since then. My guess would be if he's not able to play after the bye week, j- just shut him down for the year. I think you could you could give him a red shirt, a medical red shirt at mm-hmm. that point because he's only played in a couple games, and maybe you get him back for next year if he's not able to play. Um I guess a couple, a couple more small notes on the defense before we move to the offense. Uh, Shadrick Banks, I think, is playing a little out of position right now. I think he's a middle linebacker having to play outside because of the Johnny Hodges injury. And uh, that, I think that just speaks to a little bit of the lack of depth at that mm-hmm. position. Now, Marcel Brooks did play uh, most of the game. I think TCU subbed Banks out for Brooks, and they had a little more speed on the on the outside linebacker spot after that but um banks has been a good player for most of the year he had a bad game and hopefully he'll be able to bounce back for the defensive line the fact that dominic williams is having to play positions outside of nose tackle kind of tells you all you need to know about where this defensive line is at i mean he he's supposed to be your your man in the middle and they're having to move him around to try and generate something because the other guys that you mentioned, Anthony are, are not getting it done. And I'm not sure they'll ever be able to get it done in a TC uniform. Now, offensively, yeah, I, I just want to say, I, I think it's, it's unfortunate for Dom Williams because it, it's, it's hard to tell, but it feels like he's doing his job out there. Like watching him, he's winning these reps. He is, he's, getting off the line of scrimmage, pushing these offensive linemen into the pocket. It, it, you know, I'm no expert on defensive line play or anything, but it feels like he's doing what he's supposed to do Mm -hmm. to give this TCU defense a chance to make the plays, uh, particularly in the run game. Um, And his supporting cast is just, is not supporting him in that way. So you know, I, I know we we kind of blanket the defensive line all as a whole, but I do think Dominic Williams is still that guy. He's still, when he's allowed to be that nose tackle dominant force up the middle, he is still that guy and can be that guy for the Frogs going forward. Mm-hmm. And offensively for TCU, I mentioned it earlier in this 
episode, 300 total yards with three points to show for it. It was same story, different week, TCU racking up the yards and having a complete inability to finish drives with points in or out right outside of the red zone. TCU, I believe after this game, I was reading online, dropped to 127th in the country in red zone scoring percentage. Um, the final drive of the game kind of summed it up where TCU is at the four yard line with 10 seconds or so left in the game. And TCU runs a tight end, little tight end screen to chase Curtis for two yards. He gets injured on the play. Hopefully he's okay. The next play you're on the near side of the field. You motion Jordan Bailey from the far side in a attempt to run a fake jet toss to the short side to work back to the other side. No one's open. Hoover throws the ball out of the back of the end zone. Last play of the game is a failed uh, slant pass that gets batted down. Felt like 50, 60% of the pass attempts in this game were slants. I hope I can find someone and love a woman as much as Kendall Bryles loves slant routes because it felt like that's all TCU was throwing in this game. Uh, Amani Bailey had some good runs. He had 100 rushing yards on only 12 carries. And Josh Hoover finished with 43 pass attempts, completed 23, 187 yards, an interception, no touchdown passes. And we talked about this Kansas State defense, where they excel and where they struggle. They've been pretty bad at defending the pass this year. But you raised the point, Anthony, in our midweek that they also generate sacks. And the biggest question was, would this offensive line be able to step up and provide the time necessary for Josh Hoover to make the same kinds of throws that he made last week against BYU? Would they be able to protect him and not allow him to get rattled, especially if TCU falls behind? And that's exactly what happened. I mean, TCU falls behind. This offensive line appeared to be very overwhelmed in this game with Kansas State frequently sending pressure up the middle. They were having a lot of success getting Josh Hoover flushed out of the pocket. He was sacked twice. He was hurried a lot. He was forced to make a lot of off-target throws because the pocket was just not clean. And I think this game was hard to really gauge Josh Hoover's performance because I, I don't think the offensive line really did its job. I thought Imani Bailey had a great game, but TCU's game plan just never changed. Despite the fact that he was averaging eight, nine yards a carry, they they weren't giving him the football. And I think you get a, get to a point in the game where I understand you're behind and you feel like you've got to throw the ball to catch up, but you go, you also have to go with what's working. And if if the offensive line is not going to be able to provide the pocket and the protection necessary for your quarterback, run a screen pass, run the football, get some sort of action away from the line of scrimmage to try and find a little more success. And we didn't see many, many jet toss plays in this game. It was just really frustrating to watch. And again, TCU has the interception near the red zone. The field goal is all TCU comes away with. I guess if I, if I can bring up one more little positive, I thought Savion Williams had a nice game. He had four catches for 60 yards. He was the the go-to guy early in this game. And I thought he made some nice grabs. There was a, a fourth down play 
where TCU, of course, throws a, a slant and the, the DB had good coverage on it. It was kind of a low throw. Not much he could really do there. But, you know, offensively, the big takeaway for me from this game is it's clear at this point that this offense cannot be successful in the red zone. I mean, the stats speak for themselves. The advanced analytics speak for themselves at this point. And I don't know what TCU can do over the remainder of this season to change that. I'm not sure if it's a change in play calling, if Sonny Dykes needs to exert a little more of his authority as the head coach and take over play calling duties because whatever Kendall Bryles is dialing up, ain't it? And you know, I'm I'm very close to just being out on, on Kendall Bryles entirely because this team is just too talented to not to be, this team is too talented on the offensive side to be this poor in the red zone. And it's the same issue every week. And I, I it just blows my mind how this hasn't been resolved yet. Um, that, that, that's, that's what I got for for the offense. Anthony, I, I'll leave. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you said you don't know what TCU could do about its offensive play calling situation. Well, uh, Arkansas, had a decision to make at its offensive play calling uh, role. And it fired offensive coordinator Dan Enos, who replaced Kendall Bryles when Kendall came over to TCU. So there's one thing you could do. Uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to call for people's job. I don't think that it was a very good idea to bring him in uh, for non-football reasons and for football reasons. And it's been very clear uh, through this part of the season, through eight games, that for football reasons, he's not good at his job. Um, so that's one thing you could do. Uh, on the red zone woes, yeah, they are fourth worst in the country, scoring percentage in the red zone, ahead of Nebraska, Temple, and Old Dominion. So that's the company you're keeping. Well, but guess who's one spot ahead? Clemson and our old friend Garrett Riley. So, yep. you know, I think there there is something to uh, just Max Duggan and Quentin Johnston and Kendra Miller and everybody were elite. And maybe we didn't appreciate how elite, truly, you know, one of a kind those guys were. Because the offenses that are now being run in their absence are... Uh, are big time failures right now. Um, yeah, I, I think what can you do in the red zone to score points? Well, the 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 first red zone drive where TCU did get points, uh, but TCU has first and goal or first and 14, first and 10 from the 14, 14 yard line, first down, three straight incomplete passes, none of which were anywhere close to being completed. Mm-hmm. Um, both because of the pressure, like you were saying, um, Hoover had no time. The uh, cornerbacks, the the defensive backs were were blanketed on these receivers on those plays. It's like they knew exactly what TCU was going to do, and they shut it down with extreme efficiency. Uh, for it in a game where Amani Bailey is is crushing the defense and. You know, maybe it's small sample size, but 
the reason a small sample size is part of the problem. Think of the rock. Uh, you got to give the man the ball. Uh, mm -hmm. But but when you get down there, you've got first down at the 14-yard line, and he gets zero touches, and you've given the offense basically no chance at picking up a first down uh, with those three plays. Um, and you're just conceding, all right, we're going to take this to, to a 14-3 to game here and be happy about it. That's that's losing football. You, you are you are actively not putting yourself in in the best spot to go win the game. So, I yeah, and Amani Bailey, I guess to open to open the second half, I I was still in process of putting children to bed through the halftime break, so I missed the first drive of the half. But Amani Bailey maybe got one carry that in that drive, and then it's it's Trey Sanders for the piece of the drive where TCU is going for it and, and looking to pick up a, a fourth down conversion. Um, you know, I, I know Trey Sanders has the recruiting pedigree and all of that, but Amani Bailey is the dude. Um, he is clearly the running back for this team, and. Uh, for him to not be on the field for those crucial plays. I don't know if he was injured. I don't know, Russ, if you have more insight into what was going on there because I was not paying attention because I was putting kids to bed during that piece of that opening drive of the half. But what? why is Imani Bailey not getting those carries? I I honestly don't know. Um, you know, Bailey, so, so Trey Sanders took that fourth and one carry where TC ran the the little misdirection to pick up a couple yards in the first down, but it was Trey Sanders for the rest of the game. Um, even when TCU in the final seconds of the fourth quarter got inside the five yard line with a timeout. So you have an opportunity there to run the ball. If you don't get it, you call timeout and then you, you try to throw it. He, he wasn't on the field. Yeah. I, I don't know if there was a, a cramping situation or, or if they were just, trying to keep him healthy because they knew they had lost and, and they just want to keep Trey Sanders out there, there to fill reps. But um, Trey Sanders hasn't really been all that impressive this year. So maybe he's just kind of the, the short yardage back and they used him on that fourth down play. He picked it up and they're, they're trying to reward him a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I don't know why Bailey wasn't out there to, to close the game, but um, you know, only 12 carries in a game where you were not having success throwing the ball, you never adjusted. And that, that was really one big issue for this offense in this game is that there just didn't seem to be an adjustment to the game plan from the start of the first quarter to the final second of the fourth quarter. And I guess one last question that I'll raise before we transition out of this game analysis is the offensive line looked outmatched in, in this game. And it seemed that there was quite a bit of confusion on protections. And look, I know TCU lost an All-American in Steve Avila. You, you can't just replace a player like that. I know you lost Alana Lee, who came in with experience playing under Sonny Dykes, playing the center position as kind of a captain of that offensive line, was an all-Big 12 first-team honoree. But this offensive line, to me, is too experienced to be playing this bad. I mean, Andrew Coker is a four-year starter. Brandon Coleman, I think, is a three-year, maybe four-year starter. Um, Willis Patrick 
I will say has done a nice job since coming over from Jackson State. I think he's been arguably your best offensive lineman. He he had a sick pancake block late in this game, and that was nice to see him continue to to play hard despite the circumstances. But you know, John Lands is another guy who's been around for a long time and played a lot of football. Um, the, the left guard spot, they're rotating a couple young guys there with Colton Deary and, and Ben Taylor Whitfield. But all in all, I feel like this O-line has been underwhelming. You know, this I thought this offensive line would be a little better this year. And I feel like there have been multiple games where they just haven't generated the kind of push that I thought they would. I thought they struggled against West Virginia. They obviously struggled in this game. They even struggled for a bit against SMU. And I don't know what can can really be done about the offensive line play moving forward. Anthony, I'm not sure if you have any strong thoughts about this offensive line, but what I'm seeing from this group right now is 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 not going to cut it if you're going to be beating or competing with some of these good to elite teams in this conference. Yeah, and frankly, part of the success the week prior against BYU was not as much the offensive line as it was Amani Bailey in, in pass protection, picking up every blitz, every free runner Amani Bailey picked up against BYU and couldn't pick those all up against Kansas State. Um, there were several times in this game where just multiple free runners at Hoover. And I mean, there's just, there's just no chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what the fix is there. I think that, yeah, I, part of it is, you know, the, the cycle of the offensive line is you, you want to get old and get those experienced guys, but TCU's experienced guys are just not getting the job done. Um, I think, you know, I think, uh, Steve Avila was not Steve Avila when he was a freshman and a sophomore. Like he became that later on and and as he played multiple positions along the line and and improved greatly, particularly with Ali coming in to take over the center role. Um, but Coleman and Coker just didn't take that next step. That all right, I'm gonna go from you know power five starter to, uh, you know, all conference level power five starter to all American level, uh, that progression just didn't get there. And, you know, you're not always going to get there with these guys, but, um, that puts TCU in a big time deficit versus what it had, uh, on the offensive line last year. And the, the last thing I'll say on the offense and, and we're going extra long this week, but that's that's the way it's going to go. We're we've got a lot of lamenting to do here. So um, the other thing on the offense, I'll say, is they found themselves in third and long a lot. Mm-hmm. So only two of thirteen on third down in this game. Obviously, you're you're not going to get the job done there. The the quickness with which uh, TCU was uh, the TCU offense was exiting the game uh, was. Uh, also hurt the defense i mean you know so often it's it's a few plays and out and and it's just a killer and part of that is <clears throat> is that offensive line is unsuccessful pass plays on first down and and you're stuck in an average third down distance of seven yards to go 
across <laughs> across this game. And and yeah, two of thirteen on third down. TCU did go two of three on fourth down, so you know that's good. They are picking up some yardage, but what that is indicating is you're not attempting to get the yards to gain on third down. And we've seen that a bunch this season, throwing short of the sticks. Um, you know, these, these even successful pass plays that are not successful because you're not picking up a first down. So uh, it would be nice to get TCU picking up first downs, maybe not getting into third down situations, but if you are going to get into third downs, get something manageable that maybe those little two, three yard outs or slants that this offense likes to run so much actually can be considered a success. Yeah. I feel like almost every first down play is a pass. And when that's an incomplete pass, you're in second and 10 and in a more obvious passing situation. So uh, maybe running the football on first down and giving the ball to your best offensive player will be something Kendall Bryles considers over these last four games as uh, TCU goes into this bye week now and uh, looks to pick up at least two more wins. You got Texas Tech on the road. You have Texas and Oklahoma still on schedule along with Baylor. So still a chance at bowl eligibility, but this team nevertheless has some serious flaws to correct here. I think I've said everything I, I need to say about this game. Anthony, do you have any last thoughts here before we transition to our next item? No, just just hope that, uh, yeah, we'll we'll look to the future and what can, the next time we talk, we'll, we'll try to understand how can TCU move forward uh, into this last four games where it, it has to pick up two wins to get bowl eligible. I think it's going to be a big challenge and we'll see how much TCU's players want to go and take it and how much this coaching staff is capable of putting the players in a position to go and take it. And so reflecting on this weekend in the Big 12, we had another pretty full slate of games, a couple of big near upsets, UCF taking Oklahoma down to the wire, but giving up a couple late scores there, ultimately falling 31 to 29. Houston also putting Texas on the ropes at home, but the Longhorns are able to escape with a 31 to 24 victory. Baylor goes on the road, holds off Cincinnati winning 32 to 29. Ollie Gordon morphing into Barry Sanders right before our eyes running for almost 300 yards as the Cowboys go on the road and beat West Virginia in pretty impressive fashion, 48 to 34. Um, continuing to gain steam after a really tough start to the season. And then BYU at home against Texas Tech, who rolled with a third-string quarterback. Once again, Jake Strong had three interceptions last week, three more interceptions this week as the Cougars win 27-14. to 14. Um, Was rooting out, I, I mean, I was pulling for UCF hard. I was pulling for Houston hard. Dana Holgerson was was losing his mind at the end of that Houston Texas game, but uh, maybe not rolling out Donovan Smith and forcing him to throw the ball on on fourth and one or fourth and two. Um, I think you can do a little better than that. But Anthony, any thoughts about these games and, and these these two near upsets that we saw? Boy, I, lo- I love it. The uh, 
the group chat that we've got coach miles perry in there just like lighting up these coaches for their coaching decisions uh nationally on on some of this stuff people just these coaches clearly are get too much into their head and and just lose some kind of perspective here yeah the the two-point conversion attempt from gus malzahn and ucf at oklahoma um was was a clown show uh <laughs> they they should have won that game. I mean, the the Knights absolutely should have come away with that upset there. They they had it. They had it in their hands. They let it slip and then they had a chance to keep the game alive and and yeah, I mean, you 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 uh John Rice Plumley has been playing so terrific in that game. He leads them down the field. They get this touchdown. And you take the ball out of his hands for the two-point conversion play, throwing some kind of double pass where the receiver only has one option uh, in the end zone. So even if he ends up not getting tackled uh, before throwing the pass, even if he does get that pass off, it's very little chance of success there. I don't, I have no idea what the, the chances of that actually working was, was very low. Um, the Houston game, man, what a, I guess just a weird game. I had totally written that game off. Houston looked dead. Um, Texas was crushing them. And then, yeah, it, it, it apparently a, a pretty bad uh, refereeing decision that goes in Texas's favor, which um, I think the Longhorn fans can just shut up about conspiracy theories for the rest of the season about whether the, the Big 12 refs are out to get them or, or something ridiculous like that. So, um, I'm sure we'll never hear from those those Texas fans about any bad calls that they receive the rest of the season since they got the benefit of the doubt here um, as it looked like Houston picked up a first down there, but it was forced to take that fourth down play uh, that ended up unsuccessful. Um, man, I'm, I'm very, very surprised at this bounce back from Oklahoma State. Um, you know, I think Gundy has found his quarterback. He's found certainly his running back things are rolling there for, for the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, that's a team I had pretty much just written off. Uh, you know, they got blown out by South Alabama, um, at home. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a bad, bad start to the season for them. And the way that they've bounced back has been very, very impressive. Um, Baylor Cincinnati. I don't know. I, I, I watched a little bit of that on ESPN plus, there was some intrigue there just because it was a close game. Uh, but those are two teams that are, are really, really struggling. Um, I, I think though, you know, Baylor, Baylor might be on its way to looking okay. I think they've got Iowa state up next. That's a game that they could steal there with Blake shape and back looking, you know, healthy and improved. Uh, if I, I would not like to see Baylor picking up steam as they come to Fort Worth in a few weeks. Um, that would, that's, that's not what you want to see, but they, they get a nice win there and Cincinnati continues to struggle in the conference. Uh, and yeah, Texas tech just, you know, the, the third string quarterback thing is not working. We'll see if, um, if Baron Morton gets healthy, uh, in, you know, two Thursdays from now for for this TCU game or if they'll be rolling this guy out again he's he's really really struggled in these two games and it's it's cost the red raiders two games and if y'all 
want to continue following what's happening with Big 12 football, you can check out our website, frogsofwar.com. Austin McGee, our contributor, has done a great job of recapping all of the action in the Big 12 on a week-to-week basis. And if you check out frogsofwar.com as well, you will see some articles about our pro frogs, our pro frogs in the NFL and Major League Baseball and other sports. We had quite a few TCU players uh, taking the field today in the NFL and making some plays. Um, hopefully nobody got burned too bad by the Imari DiMarcato waiver wire stampede that took place last week as Keontae Ingram was ultimately named the starter. But DiMarcato was the lead back today for the Cardinals, had I think 13 carries, a little over 50 yards, looked pretty good. I know he's on a, a roster in our league right now, so good, really exciting for him. Again, an undrafted player. Uh, not only making a roster, but sticking around and making a, a big impact for the Cardinals, who should be getting Kyler Murray back here pretty soon. So we'll see if DiMarcado can continue to roll. Uh, Jalen Rager is still in the league. He he caught a ball for New England today, and New England had a, a big upset against uh, Buffalo. Darius Davis, Quentin Johnston, both getting involved a little bit for the Chargers today. Davis had, I think, four total touches ran the ball for, I think, 14 yards on three carries, had a 10-yard pickup. Quinton Johnston had a 20-yard pickup. And a little shout-out to Trayvon Merrick as well. I, I did a brief little article about him uh, last week on frogsaward.com. Had an interception of Mac Jones last week when the Raiders took on the Patriots. He's got uh, two picks already this year. He picked off Justin Herbert earlier this year and now has three interceptions for his career and has been playing some some pretty good ball for for the Raiders as they're starting free safety and ha- hasn't been talked about a whole lot, but uh, off to a really good start to to his young career. Yeah, I'll also just shout out, um, not in the NFL, but Yasmeen Ryan of uh, TCU soccer fame had uh, a big goal for Gotham FC in the NWSL quarterfinals in the playoffs tonight uh earlier today and um gets to take on her former team that kind of traded her away that the Portland Thorns so i think big things happening for her in professional soccer so that's exciting as as her Gotham FC club moves on to the semifinals in the NWSL playoffs and Messiah Bright also has had a a fantastic season in the NWSL as well so um, speaking of TCU soccer, former TCU soccer stars, we'll get into our next couple of TCU sports items here. The TCU soccer team will have its final regular season match tomorrow at Texas. This will be the final match before the Big 12 tournament. TCU right now is ranked third in the Big 12, 10-4-3 overall, 6-1-2 in the conference, one point behind BYU for the number two seed. Uh, still a chance to get that two seed if TCU beats Texas and BYU loses its final match, but it's going to be a tough one in Austin. This is a good uh, Texas team, and we'll see if TCU can go on the road and score a big win. We'll continue to recap TCU soccer at frogsaward.com as well as TCU volleyball at frogsaward.com. The volleyball team had a huge match at home against Texas on Wednesday. We talked about that briefly on the midweek episode. Another home match that took place earlier today against ranked Kansas. TCU came out, won the first set pretty handily, but was not able to 
keep that energy for the remainder of the match. Kansas taking the second, third, and fourth sets to hand TCU a three to one loss. And so the Frogs now are on a little bit of a losing streak, three three games in a row, falling to twelve and nine overall, five and five in the conference with some tough matchups coming up. They're going to UCF later this week on the road Thursday and Friday. That's a team that's sixteen and four on the year and seven and two in the conference. You have Iowa State after that. I believe that's at home. And then you play Baylor, who's also near the top of the conference. So some some challenging matchups coming up for TC Volleyball as head coach Jason Williams and his staff look to uh, clinch a NCAA tournament berth for the second straight year and then Big 12 tournament play coming up for TCU soccer. Anthony is our, our resident soccer fan. Any thoughts about this this Texas matchup or this upcoming conference tournament? Yeah, I think the Texas matchup is actually a pretty big opportunity. You know, TCU cannot fall below third place here. So TCU is pretty locked into either the the second or third slot here uh, in the conference tournament. But a, a win at Texas and a loss or draw for BYU against UCF, which those are those are two pretty evenly matched teams. So I think it, there is a pretty high chance that there is a loss or draw for BYU in that game. So uh, a, a win in Austin would be would be huge to at least put that pressure on BYU to to get uh, to get that win over UCF to force their way up to the two spot. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, going back, we talked about it, but the the draw with Houston was really a killer. I mean, it took away uh, TCU's opportunity to um, potentially win the conference and and lock up that two seed in the the Big Twelve tournament. So that was that was a big missed opportunity, but now big opportunity ahead in Austin, and then the Big Twelve tournament starting end of next week in uh, I, I think Round Rock, Texas. So um, big games ahead for for the Horn Frogs and should be exciting into the NCAA tournament. And we'll close out our podcast here with a couple of TCU recruiting items. We talked about some of the latest recruiting news on our midweek episode with some TCU basketball and baseball prospects committing to the Frogs, and we have a couple more commitments to hit on this evening. TCU basketball continuing to be red hot on the recruiting trail, picking up a commitment from four-star forward David Punch. This is a, a 6'7 forward from uh, Har- Harker Harker Heights, Texas. I think that's, I'm pronouncing it right. I might be pronouncing it wrong, but a four-star player, third four-star commit for this 2024 class, which was already ranked number 15 in the country prior to the Punch commitment, which brings TCU up to number 11 in the country over teams like Illinois and Purdue and Kentucky and more. So this is a a very, very, very impressive, I I think we could really call it a historic 2024 recruiting class that Jamie Dixon and his staff are putting together. So a big piece of news there. And then also TCU football adding a commitment from three-star defensive lineman Tristan Johnson from Hearst, uh, plays at Hearst, from Hearst, Texas, plays at Bell High School, um, flipped from UTSA and becomes the 18th player in the 
class of 2024. I think he's only the second or third defensive lineman. Um, we kind of railed on the defensive line in the Kansas State recap. We don't have many coming in through the high school ranks, so hopefully TCU can go out and get some some big boys in the portal. But um, I think the big one here is the basketball commitment from from David Punch and another front court player, another four star commit. Anthony, any thoughts you want to add about either of these two players? Yeah, I mean, just that, uh, not the player specifically, but just that for Jamie Dixon, he is absolutely on a roll and could be at the stage where he's building this program in Fort Worth for himself to have big time, long term, sustained success. Um, you know, I think two or three of TCU's top 10 all-time recruits are in this 2024 class. So mm-hmm. certainly Robinson and Diallo, and I think Punch might be as well. So yeah, I, I think this, you said historic, I think that's absolutely the case, and it could set up for uh, for a big, big future for Dixon for the Horn Frogs. And I think with that, we will wrap up our weekend recap episode this evening. We appreciate everybody continuing to follow us and listen in here on the Frogs Up TCU Sports Podcast. Once again, charliehustle.com. Use the promo code Frogs of War. Get 15% off all your TCU items or use the promo code 101215, TEN1215, 15% off any non-sale items. Consider a donation to the Patreon, support the two of us here on Frogs Up or any of the other podcasts in the 1012 Network at patreon.com forward slash 1012 Network. Continue to follow us on the web and Twitter and Facebook at Frogs of War. We are continuing to put out content on a day-to-day basis, bringing you all of the latest and greatest in TCU sports. With TCU football on a bye week this week, we will probably just do one episode. We will likely just hold off on the midweek episode and come back next Sunday and talk about the current state of TCU football and other news items concerning TCU sports and TCU athletics. And so with that, I am Russ Hodges. That is Anthony North. We appreciate everybody listening. Thank you for all of your support. And we will sign off here with a frogs up.